You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site! We're back. It is episode 127 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I'm your host, Lee. We'll meet again in Valhalla, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. I know you're looking for something to destroy me. How is your research going, Harper? How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. My research is going well. I will eventually destroy you on sight. There you go. <laughs> Wrap it back around. There we go. Last episode. Here we go. Yeah, man. I I think I doomed us with with that intro. I didn't. I didn't yeah, realize the repercussions. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're done. Yeah. So uh, joined by Daniel. I already pre-recorded with Paul because he cannot show up tonight, and I will shove that segment in somewhere in this podcast. I'm sure it will be completely organic. Wherever you, wherever you put it. Yeah. Wherever um, you slide Paul in, it's usually in a place where he probably doesn't belong, but where he's probably happy to be. Mm. I have a feeling a Wilhelm scream will uh, precede it and (laughs) come after it as well. (laughs) Uh, So uh, there you go. Okay, so we have one comment on our Count Dracula episode from last week, and it is from our longtime commenter, C.B. Fall, who says, Absolutely agree. Not a good movie by any means. Proving, once again, that he doesn't listen to the episode, <laughs> but thank you for the comment. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. We do appreciate the comments, and occasionally we think he probably does watch or listen. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's really a crapshoot with him. But thank you for commenting. We we love all our commenters, including the ones who don't actually understand what it is we do here. Yeah. In fact, those are kind of our favorite people—the the people who just sort of, you know, wander in like a like a homeless person, and um, you know, we're, we're radically accepting of all uh, of all our listeners, basically. Yeah, I, I find the clueless ones don't learn to hate us eventually. So yeah. those, those are the ones we keep, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's we, we piss off everybody eventually. Yeah, you know. But yeah, you know, which let's spend the next four hours talking about the Marvel movies. That's clearly the way. To, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not going to do that this time around. We, we both have nothing we, we've watched lately that we want to really talk about. So we're going to take a quick break. I'll probably come back with Paul's segment here. I'll probably slice it in with uh, the usual music and trailer for some other podcast. And then we'll come back and talk about The Lorelei's Grasp. Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 <laughs> and he said, bark, 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 and she said, bark, 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 bark. that's what I got. 
One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, this is the Doomed Show. Is available on hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com and doomedmoviethon.com. Hello, hello, this is the Doomed Show. Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Nava. It's the Doomed Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doomed Show. Slashers, G.I. Low and Horror. Ah! You ungodly warlock. All right, now I'm with Paul in an undisclosed location in the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States. How are you doing, sir? Very good, thank you. Good, and we're going to get your thoughts on the Lorelei's grasp. Mm -hmm. So uh, when's the first time you watched this, and uh, what are your sort of general thoughts on it? I watched this about a month and a half ago. I bought it off the Ebays. I had no idea what to expect. I was just in a video buying mood i closed out my 401k so i had extra cash on hand Mm -hmm. so i was just kind of buying films left and right i'm pretty sure i'm not going to be accurate until you confirm this one but i i told you guys about this film um literally like the day or the next day after i watched it and thought it was a great film and Mm -hmm. i think that's why we're doing it on the podcast i didn't think you've okay I i wasn't sure if you've watched it before or not I've never heard of it before, and I was just absolutely taken aback that I was like, "This is this is a Spanish film people need to watch because this is actually really great." Uh, of course, I watched it only once in a sleepy days mm-hmm. when I was going to bed one night, but it had this atmosphere, and it was just completely stunning the whole time, and it, and it gave me all those nice nuances that the Nashay films do and things like that. But it was something that was completely different in its approach than a lot of the other films at the time from Spain were doing. So I thought it was a very good thing. That's the first time I've ever watched it, and and I need to berate myself for not watching it again. But yeah, uh, so yeah, this is Osario who did the Blind Dead films, and, mm-hmm. and this this is definitely a little bit slightly different from his Blind Dead stuff. But yeah, it's it's, it's kind of interesting. This sort of takes from German mythology. It's sort of based on a rock formation that's uh, you, you can see if you uh, tour the Rhine River. Um, which I have. Yeah, the the Lorelei, which is the name of the rock formation, and it, there's this legend of a beautiful female who awakens every once in a while and must satiate a bloodlust in the form of a monster, and so they can go. So basically, she can go back to sleep. Kind of kind of idea. So the, the, this movie, the hearts of virgins. It's great, right? So yeah, this movie sort of pulls from that. Pretty interesting, like this. This movie is a little bit different than a lot of uh, Orsorio's other stuff where most of the women in his Blind Dead films are just slutty bitches who deserve mm-hmm. to die, basically. <laughs> like, that's yeah. sort of his attitude. But here... Well, yeah, here here they're not slutty bitches that deserve to die. Oh. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a sort of a weird departure for him. But but what do you, uh, what do you think of the... Uh, the effects work in this because I, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was very good. And I, um, I actually like, I thought it was very visceral the way they did it. Obviously it's a little bit too raw for some, but I think the, uh, the heart ripping out scenes are really good. Maybe not the most atomically correct film you've ever nah. seen in your life. However, I think it's, it's very, I think the fact everything is, it's not overdone, but it's always turned up when the blood is hitting the screen. It's very visceral. When the atmosphere is hitting the screen, that's very visceral. Everything has a visceral element to this, a raw realism. And I like it for as many as, as storytelly as it gets, it is very raw. I mean, you're, it's a very cut and dry raw film. I think it's really good. And I yeah, think it's it, well done. It, so, yeah, like you could almost call this like a proto slasher to a certain extent. And it, it, it kind of mixes that sort of element with uh, the sort of this mythology thing underneath. Uh, well, I like sort the of fact that they, they even they even pull science into it. See, the mm-hmm. radioactivity of, of this magical blade will cause the reaction. And it's it's. It's weird because they even play it up that we all became, we all came from reptilian type creatures from our, and then all that is is a, it's a like a creature that can go back to its primal roots. Yeah, they, yeah, they sort of like compare it to like a chameleon where it's just Mm -hmm. like you know 
they, they give an example. Oh, you know, the, the chameleon uh, lizard or whatever, chemical reaction and its skin changes color or whatever, right? It's interesting, though, um, for, for the science angle in this, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh. Well, I think I think it's kind of funny, and maybe this is just me. I, I love Spanish films, the horror films. I haven't seen a lot of them, but from what I have seen, I do appreciate. They're a little bit under budget. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of tell, and I always feel like some of the the film grain and the coloration harkens back to the sick the early sixties of American films a little bit, where they're doing the re- radioactive. I was a teenage nuclear fucktard, right. you know that kind of thing. So it actually it fits really well with this film too, the radioactive signs and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and I was I was going to actually put this to you. This is basically a werewolf movie. Hmm. When you think about it, because, I mean, they, they make a big deal, and that's what I was thinking about with the uh, sort of science thing uh, that I forgot there for a sec. They, they make a big deal about how it's basically the moonlight that's changing mm. the beautiful woman, uh, Helga Linné, into well, the yeah. Lorelei. That's what's sort of compelling her to mm-hmm. kill or whatever, turning into yeah. this lizard thing. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's just like werewolf in a girl's dormitory. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, same idea. It's uh, that, and then uh, or Sam Katzman, the wolf, uh, the werewolf, and the, the the radioactive pill he takes or whatever that gives him right. this ability, you know, the mm-hmm. same same kind of deal. It has so many. Uh, I'm gonna go off on tangent like I always do. I am. Um, it has so many different elements to this film. However, it's the best part about this film is it's a fresh breath because it's like nothing else that was coming out, especially in Spain at the time. Because mm-hmm. as we a lot of us know, you know, especially with the Nashes. He, they were all going off what because it was illegal for the film industry to do anything back then, especially horror films. Right. So he grew up watching the bootlegs and stolen and illegal films of the Universals. Mm-hmm. So everyone was doing their own little retake of, of vampires and zombies and werewolves and these kind of deals. And here comes this film out of freaking nowhere. And it's this giant reptilian monster, but in the guise of a beautiful woman that is she is absolutely encapsulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just her, yeah. Her, her attitude, the way she's portrayed. I love the. Now, you'll never hear me say this again. I love the fact she's never naked. <laughs> because it's still, it just, she just makes me want her the whole film. And I can't yeah. get her. And it makes me want her even more. It's, yeah. it's so great. And she's super hot. Uh, Helga oh, Linnae is beautiful. Helga and is and, so and hot. She, she does. Um, like just like in Venus and Furs with uh, Maria Rom, she does she does the same sort of really pale, cold beauty kind of thing when when she's in human form where you mm-hmm. see her. Like it's very much the same kind of performance, and it's really yeah. really good. And she has this regalness to her uh-huh. when she does it too. That kind of peasant, you just just love me from a distance, you know well, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that's where the mythology thing comes in because this really does sort of switch between two different movies. Like there's the, the very standard kind of slasher element to this. And then mm-hmm. there's very much a traditional hammer yes. take on like mythology kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it, uh, it does have that hammer quality to it at times too. Yeah. You, you know, that, that second half of the film kind of reminds me of like uh hammers, the Gorgon mm-hmm. where, where, you know, all of a sudden like a modern day, well, not quite modern, but you know, like Victorian era, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, there's a gorgon in a small England town turning people to stone, right? Right. And, and then it plays back on that mythology, mythological sort of element. I get a lot of the uh, Hammer vibes from the storyteller in the film, the blind mm-hmm. fiddler. And he was giving the, the, the back story to this. And, and the way he was killed, he actually had his eyes ripped out. The one I'm all ripped out. Yeah, which kind is, of funny yeah. and blind. Uh, <laughs> but then it has... I like the fact that there's intelligence behind the monster. The monster just doesn't become a monster. The monster mm. is intelligent. It goes after the guy telling everybody, hey, this is a beast. We should kill it this way. We'll kill you then. And then, hey, I found out how to kill it. Okay, kill the doctor too. And yeah. pour acid on his fucking face. Yeah. That was rough, man. I, out, was... Of all the, out, of, out of all of them, the doctor got it the worst. That, yeah, that was bad because her, her servant whips him 
into mm-hmm. submission before she even put pours the fucking acid on him or whatever. Yeah. And she she's even kind of torturing him while he's being whipped because she's like burning his scientific papers. No, don't burn no. that. Don't destroy oh, that. Don't no. not that one too. Ah shit. <laughs> no, it's great. But but it's good because you can be sort of sympathetic to the monster because she's kind of trapped in this sort of destiny. Like this mm-hmm. is what she has to do. Like she's basically cursed. Like no, she's, she's basically cursed. a cursed creature. That's the thing is like and let's go back to our last episode with Dracula. Dracula is cursed. Mm-hmm. There's no, he has to do this. Yeah. And that's why he really would like someone to fuck all the time. So mm-hmm. he wants me and me and stuff like that. It's just, this is a curse and they're trying to find their partner. And love is very rare for people that are cursed. If you noticed, and she gets completely smitten with Kendall, Tom, uh, Tony Kendall. Yeah, character, his character. Well, who and, who wouldn't? I mean, you see the, how tight his well, fucking pants are in this uh, film? and how big his flares are on his shirts and stuff. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. I love that. We're gonna, and then that that's kind of sets the scene for the other side of the film, the sexual kind of side of the film, yeah. because they're like when they're, you're dancing around the schoolgirl thing, they come in and say, "Oh, this hunter's gonna come in, probably some old son of a bitch and all this," and then he comes in like Captain Kirk and has sex with yeah. everyone in the room. <laughs> and then goes into this weird moor and starts walking these coastlines and find this girl and finds a uh, Helga in the mill and s- she looks green and s- has sex with her too and then goes underwater and fucks the whole fish and then comes back <laughs> out and says I didn't see anything I don't know no, what to say. <laughs> no, he really he really is like Captain Kirk he'll he'll fuck anyone it it just, have their green I'm, and they have I'm scales surprised or... he didn't had him surprised he didn't fuck the servant he he's a very strapping young man yeah. But I mean, just like, man, he must have lost a couple of years off his life wearing pants that tight in this production. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, I, I I bet he didn't feel a single one of his toes the whole time. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh, just it's and um, I cannot remember his name, but I I I didn't know this at the time because of course it was the first time late at night, never heard of the film, watched it, and I had. It was a very uneducated but educated guess that someone from Tombs of the Blind Dead was involved in this. One, mm-hmm. I figured out it was Spanish just by the way it was kind of portrayed. Yeah. And then two, I swear I saw one of the characters from Tombs of the Blind Dead in this film. The, it was him and his girlfriend. I thought he was going to be a male protagonist to Kendall. Oh, oh was it the, um, was it the dude who who's, his bride that was the first victim? Yeah. Was that oh, him? Oh, God. It, and because uh, there there was a guy, it, he's in Tombs of the Blind Dead. He's the mustachio hero in Tombs yeah. of the Blind Dead, and he was in Lorelai's Grasp. He might not be credited, but I swear it was him. Okay, I have to look this up right now. Mm-hmm. So Carlos or Boris yeah. or something like that. His name is I think I don't yeah. know. I was like, that's I... that's the guy from Tombs of the Blind Dead, isn't it? But I can't remember his name. You might be <laughs> right. You might be right. That that sounds exactly true. But that was my first in- inclination that that was had something with the Tombs of the Blind Dead. Then I found out later. I'm like, yeah, the fuck, the guy directed it. Oh shit. Oh, that's why. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I think I do have a couple films with Helga Lane, Leanne, Lene. I keep on saying her name. Yeah. Lay me, please. Helga Lane. No, sorry, because I, I was I was calling her Helga Line for the longest Lain, time. Line. No, it's told. it's uh, the A. The Lele. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They're fucking yeah. European, Lee. You can't say words correctly. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a terrible. Yeah, he was in Tombs of Blind Dead. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, he was, he was Pedro. Pedro. Yeah, yeah. There we go. He was the, uh, he was the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> the mustachioed asshole. Yeah. The mustachioed dago. But yeah, uh, we, we'll, the... we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely be getting back to him when we do the blinded films. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I like, and, and actually, let's go back again. To, I, I hate to do this all the time, but I'm going to do it because I, I feel there's a, a point to this. Let's go back to the old film that we just did, which is Dracula. He con- he finally gets to uh, well, one uh, feel Lorelai's grasp, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and then he uh, he goes under to their undersea kingdom. Under the and then kind of goes into these cap, catacombs and stuff where Lorelai rests eternally on her on her throne and stuff when she actually satiates her bloodlust. Yeah, and you get the three three right. women there, and it's almost like Dracula. You got the three yeah. sisters, the weird sisters, right there. 
and it's it's the same relationship too when you think about it because those those three women they're like it's a they're, sexual they're, hunger lust relationship. Well, and and they're looking out for themselves. Like they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we 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 should you know fuck Lorelai. We should we should mm-hmm. be looking to like get some men for himself, ourselves mm-hmm. and stuff. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same as the weird sisters slash bride of Dracula thing where it's, oh, Dracula brought this hot dude to the castle. We should fucking fuck him and, and drink all of his blood. Yeah, why, 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 fuck, why should we let him get it? Well, he's, mm. a, he's a dude. It's gay. Let's mm. do it instead. You know? <laughs> and that's the thing is that's why it's just another link to the chain of how universal horror and and just horror in general from Americas and stuff like that that kind of inundated illegally inundated Spain has created right. all the all the film and the mythology behind the films that they portray and you can find linkages if you look hard enough. Yeah, yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you have any sort of final thoughts on this uh, before mm. we close it? Well, it's one of those ones that I talked to you guys about because one, I thought it was a fantastic film. And two, it's something that's I've never heard of. And when I, not saying I'm, I'm, I really know, but but if I didn't ever hear of it, that means it needs talked about. Because <laughs> if, you, if you go over onto YouTube and I checked it out, all you see is like really the trailer. That's it. There's no, right. yeah. Maybe, there's like three reviews on it or something like that. Not even a mm-hmm. handful. And yeah, it's it's fairly obscure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, okay, this needs to be talked about because you know everyone's talked about maybe you know blood of dracula by now or scars of dracula or something like that but this is like out of fucking nowhere mm-hmm. i got shocked by this tantalizing fairy tale of horror that i've never even knew existed yeah and i mean when it comes to osario most people just talk blind dead and that's all they mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. so yeah i like the atmosphere of at times of, of blind dead tombs of blind dead well maybe not mm-hmm. part three but no. uh, but one anyway. But the thing is, the atmosphere is great. However, it's only bits and pieces where you get that real atmosphere of the blind dead, where it slows that it's that slow down, and you hear the monkish chants in the background mm-hmm. with all the wind and stuff that gives you that atmosphere. This film is almost atmosphere from the beginning to the end. Yeah, and I, I almost want to say if I watch this a couple more times. I, it might rival Tombs of the Blind Dead for me as far as his work goes. When we get to the Blind Dead, we'll we'll come back to that point and see what yeah. we think. It might be on par, but it has. I mean, Helga is just so fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay, awesome. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, we had to get you on a different night, but it was it was great to uh, get your thoughts on this, and we're gonna. Insert this in magically through editing into the podcast. Grasp me. Yeah. Okay. And thank you everyone for listening. And we will go back to the regular podcast as it is uh, going. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You ungodly warlock. All right. The Lorelei's Grasp from 1973. girls' boarding school is living a nightmare. Who will be the next victim? The Claws of Lorelei. The heart was gone. Sounds like a very old story I once heard that was told to me when I was a child. I still can't get it out of my mind. What story? The Lorelei. The monster stalks. Terror dominates their lives. The legend has turned into reality. Lorelei will be transformed into an obscene beast. She must devour human hearts in order to return to her centuries-old dream. You will stay with me throughout eternity. Claws of Lorelei. In order to live, it is necessary to kill. The Claws of Lorelei. With Tony Kendall. Elga Linnae, 
Silvia Tortosa, Loretta Tobar, of Lorelei, a spectacular film with a chilling story of terror and death. <laughs> the Claws of Lorelei. Directed by Armando de Osorio. The Claws of Lorelei. Next on this screen. Also known by several other titles, including When the Screaming Stops, The Night the Screaming Stopped, and The Swinging Monster, out of... I don't even know where the <laughs> fuck that one comes from. That one, The Swinging Monster, is a better title than... Either of the two screaming titles, which mm-hmm. make no sense. But the Lorelei's Grasp is clearly the best title yeah. for this film. Yeah, this was actually called uh, When the Screaming Stops in the U.S. market. And it was actually marketed, uh, I, I think it was u- released like several years later in the U.S. It was marketed as a slasher film. And if you look at the uh, alternate covers for it for the U.S. release, it shows a screaming woman's uh, reflection in a large butcher knife. Which yeah yeah I just, saw that yeah which, totally I we'll we'll get into this I, I I'm I'm kind of interested in in the the genesis of this and uh, do you have a plot synopsis because I feel like we should do. we should do that okay yeah yeah but this is uh, directed by Armando de Osorio who we're going to be revisiting uh, later on this summer with the Blind Dead films which is what he's most famously known for he sort of did the this movie right in between doing those films it was also written by him. Starring Tony Kendall as Sigurd, Helga Linné as Lorelai, Sylvia Tortosa as Elk Ackerman, Loretta Tovar as alumna, Josefina Jartin as principal, Luis Indani as the mayor, Jose Thelman as Carlo Donati, Betsaba, or Betsabi maybe, Ruiz as the bride, Francesco Naito as blind violinist, Louis Barbu as Alberic and Angel Menendez as Professor Von Lander, who uh, I'm going to dub throughout uh, this entire discussion as Professor Billy Connolly, because that's who he looks exactly <laughs> like, just with a haircut. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, synopsis for this, the legendary Lorelei has been living for centuries in a grotto beneath the River Rhine in Germany. Every night when the moon is full, she turns into a reptile-like creature craving for human blood. When one girl after another of a nearby boarding school is killed by her, Hunter named Sigurd is engaged to kill the monster. And before we get into this, I'll just mention this is sort of based on an actual German uh, piece of folklore. It's kind of a mixture of uh, a Norse uh, Teutonic kind of myth and legends. A lot of different cultures sort of have the same kind of ideas of like, you know, water nymphs and uh, dryads and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of water spirits, sirens with the Greeks. Lorelei is uh, the name for a big rock outcropping that sort of goes about 120 meters above the water line of the Rhine. And it's actually located in the narrowest part of the river. And it has a history of sinking a lot of ships because there's a lot of large rocks right under the waterline. It's the narrowest part of the river, like I said, and the current is very strong as well. So it's caused a lot of accidents. So it's only natural that you would have one of those sort of luring sailors to their deaths kind of myths sort of creep up from this kind of thing. So the the idea is that Lorelei is this jilted lover who threw herself from the rock to her death. And ever since then has came back as sort of like a spirit form sort of thing and has been luring sailors to their death uh, with her uh, songs and singing. Apparently there's some sort of echo effect in that area as well that, that's kind of noticeable and unique to the uh, region. And that- I don't know why you call this a myth. This sounds like just straightforward history, you know, like just, just black letter history to me, you know. Like Are you, complete, uh, you know. Are you complete. saying like t- reptilian 
uh, Lorelei is just part of Bohemian Grove and yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I just, I think, you know, like just as much a part of German history as Bismarck, you know, ultimately, you know, right. sort of, you know, like, yeah, yeah, one or the, one or the other, you know, I mean, clearly it's prior to like reunification and, you know, like the late 19th century <laughs> and, you know, clearly, clearly it's not really German history. It's probably one of the, one of the, you know, the smaller states, but you know, this sounds, uh, this sounds very, very uh, plausible and accurate. <laughs> Sorry. I have no real joke there except to try to take this completely seriously. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'll throw over to you first there, Daniel. Uh, what are your sort of initial thoughts on this? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, a lot of times I approach these, I just kind of don't look into it at all. I just kind of hit play and see, see what the film is. You know, my wife watched it with me uh, and uh, her immediate response upon seeing the girl at the beginning is like we've seen nipples that's what mm-hmm. this film is and it's like yes no the nipples are clearly one of the things this film is trying to do uh you get a uh, slasher moment pretty quickly there and it's uh, some pretty impressive gore i've got to say mm-hmm. that's that's uh there there's quite a bit of quite a bit of really nice gore in the film and that's kind of what i thought i was getting into for this was like oh this is going to be kind of a you know a girl sits around and the monster comes and kills her. And then there's going to be somebody who's going to come chase the monster. And then that's, you know, I was kind of expecting a little bit of kind of a monster slasher film. It goes in that direction. And then it collides with this uh, sort of sexy romantic kind of uh, subplot, which is kind of more uh, played for laughs as much as anything, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, where, uh, you know, our hunter character uh, kind of shows up and the girls at this quote unquote boarding school, uh, <laughs> who seem to mostly just hang around in a pool of bikinis all the time. So I don't know. I, I think boarding school is a euphemism even within the world of the film. Yeah, uh, they, but, they have a lot of recesses around the pool. Let's just put it that way. We get some uh, some fun little comic bits there. Then you think, okay, so it's going to be kind of like a sexy comedy slash slasher film, monster movie. All right, so we're, we're kind of doing three genres at once now. And then it becomes this like... A story of obsessive romance, and it's sort of on the part of the Lorelei's obsession at the mm-hmm. end. And I don't know the degree to which, like, that's actually kind of brilliant, and the degree to which it's just kind of a fucking mess. <laughs> and I feel like the ending kind of doesn't work for me in some ways, and I, I think we'll get there. But if the ending had worked better, I think I would like this film a lot more. I think there's a lot to like in the film. I was definitely not bored watching this film. Um, but it definitely was not kind of what I was expecting to to watch when you when I kind of like put it on and watch the first three minutes. It's like, no, this goes in a very, very different kind of direction. Um, yeah, it really does go in several different directions. Like you mentioned, uh, first off, it's just like, you know, monster on the loose film slash slasher film. Almost a werewolf film, really. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a werewolf, but it's like a reptilian werewolf, basically. In fact, even yeah. the uh, even the transitions, the, uh, the the special effects seem to be harkening back to, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. and you know some of the some of the early werewolf effects. Yeah, the Euro sex comedy thing is definitely in there as well. It's got to have some titillation here. Um, Osario, Although, other than the very beginning, I don't think there's any actual nudity in this, right? Um, I might have missed uh, very... might have missed a nipple here and there, but you know. Very briefly, and most of it, it comes in the attack scenes when the girls oh, right. are getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is the there's the iconic like breast actually being ripped into. So the sex always comes with violence, but there is like a bathtub scene, which is actually fairly demure. By you know, I was expecting mm-hmm. a little bit more sexiness there. Well, yeah, you're almost expecting like a lesbian subplot to develop there all of a sudden because yeah, the one girl sneaks in and it's like, well, hey, I'm taking a bath. Why don't you come in the bathroom with me? Okay. Well, not only does the one girl sneak in and like they're hanging out and then like the headmistress shows up and she's like, and you kind of expect like maybe a little love triangle to kind yeah. of happen right there, you know? But no, it goes in a different direction. It was, it was a, you know, kind of you can call it missed opportunity. I'm going to call it a missed opportunity. It kind of it is because Osario he was known to not skip on you know having a lot of women kiss each other and get naked so uh yeah. like we'll we'll get into that in the blind dead films but okay well here... i have something to look forward to then you know i was yeah. <laughs> i was kind of in that i was kind of in that head that jess franco headspace and i'm like well this is clearly not directed by jess franco because he <laughs> wouldn't in that situation and then not give us like explicit lesbianism you know yeah 
yeah. But yeah, so it, it does mix those Euro sex comedy bits. Like you got the parts where uh, uh, Sigurd is patrolling the grounds, and then one like the first night, all the uh, sort of key chicks in the uh, boarding school they all stand at their windows all at the same time, and they're like uh, parading around in their in their negligees and their pajamas for him, and blowing him kisses and stuff, which is just dumb. It's just so silly. Uh, half of those girls you don't even see after that again. Yeah, they it just seems, disappear. It's kind of impressively um, multi-ethnic too. I think there's a you know there's kind of an Asian, East Asian girl, yeah. and you know, like it felt a little more like you know, like I mean, not that there can't be you know East Asian people in Germany even in 1974, uh, but it did seem to be a little bit of I don't know. It just I'm just kind of like I don't I don't I don't. They just cast a bunch of models, I guess. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, it, it, it feels like it's like a training school for like au pair girls or something like that. You know, like it feels like it's not actually a school. It feels like yeah. it's it, it, it's this is this is a this is a lesbian fuckfest commune. Of yeah, people and who also as soon as a dude with a gun shows up, everybody is it gets it gets pretty damp in the air. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he's and the stuff he's wearing when he shows up. I was kind of. Comparing it to Fabio Testi and the Heroin Busters, kind of. There's a there's a very Fabio Testi kind of quality going on through most of this film. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of wished Fabio Testi would be in this film. Honestly, he would fit right in. He would have fit right in either as a a, kind of a guy for our uh, what's the guy's what Siguro Sigur or something like that. Sigurd. Sigurd. Either is just a guy for him to talk to. I mean, I feel like if there's anything the film needs, it's a little bit more dialogue between, you know, let's right. kind of get it what's what's going on with Sigurd there. And maybe if he had a buddy to, you know, to talk to who could also be killed by the Lorelei at some point, you know. But um, Well, he he has potential ones. Like there's the the blind violinist and then there's yep. you know, and then there's Dr. Billy Connolly. Um, <laughs> the blind violinist, i.e. he might as well have bongos guy you know yeah he's he's, a, he's the hippie and <laughs> he's, he's somewhere between the hippie and the uh the the beat generation guy you know he's mm-hmm. he's he feels he feels like uh you know the uh the 60s just hadn't quite hit germany <laughs> by 1974 <laughs> yeah speaking on uh, sigurd's outfits man that dude needed to stop wearing pants because he was going to cut off of blood in a lot of vital areas there, every time you get a shot of this guy whenever he's talking to someone he always seems to be like leaning over something so his, his legs are widespread it's like yeah look at my bulge look at my bulge i have balls my fashion choices accentuate the fact that i do indeed have testicles, and yeah. I think you should be aware of this. That's kind of what the that, that kind of early seventies fashion was all about, though. Was yeah, accentuating the most overt facets of male anatomy. Yeah. So as it moves on, there's no mystery on who the Lorelei is. It's it's Helga Linné, who's also incredible. Like every woman in this looks great, but our two key ones, Helga yeah. Linné and and Sylvia Tortosa, are fucking off the charts beautiful <laughs> exactly yes very you know really really you, you kind of imagine like this film clearly did not have the budget to cast women that beautiful i i don't i'm not sure exactly maybe there was some like moonlight beam that they were able to uh, <laughs> you know just convince people to be in the film but they, these two women are uh, unspeakably gorgeous in the you know conventional sense yeah, the second half of the film plays into like Teutonic mythology. Like she mentions Wotan at some point, and how <laughs> Wotan's her father. She talks about uh, Ninemberg jewel treasure or something like that. And like I, I looked that up. I should have wrote it down in my notes, but it's like a it's it's like a, a word that's used in sort of German folklore. It can mean a lot of different things, but usually it means like dwarves and treasure and stuff like that. And Sigurd. Siegfried, those are sort of names that sort of pop up as popular heroic names in Germany. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to almost tie in this reincarnation love story, faded destiny kind of thing. Like the Lorelei character herself is very tragic because apparently she's just there to guard Wotan's treasure. Mm-hmm. And she keeps trying to bring in a mortal man to become her uh, immortal lover and she keeps being denied and you see all these when you finally get down <laughs> to her lair there's all these skeletons hanging around that are past lovers that died and there's a lot of other weird shit in there too it's like uh, you, you get down to her lair and all of a sudden there there's almost like a nod to the dracula myth because you got these three chicks and leopard 
print bikinis. Le- leopard print bikinis, which is clearly the kind of attire that I would wear if I were in an underground grotto underneath the Rhine. You know, that, that's the most practical, you know. Uh, yeah, and outfit. yeah, those German uh, leopards that are going around. <laughs> I just I saw these three girls and I kept thinking of you know the uh, the line from Scott Pilgrim the uh, hipster demon chicks you know <laughs> and it's like they're they're very much just like but that uh, might have like, just been the eye makeup but yeah <laughs> yeah but they're very much like the brides of Dracula same kind of idea yeah. they're like constantly scheming to try to get their own stuff then you just got the the big heavy there that is sort of like the bodyguard of uh Helga Linnae who's whipping people all the time for her and it, it just gets I mean, really it's, it's a living you know ultimately yeah. you, gotta, you gotta wonder if if that that comes with like union benefits or not uh, unless he gets to fuck the three chicks or something like that I don't know but I mean they don't <laughs> explain that's just kind of you know yeah, they, but they don't explain any of that, and that's kind of one of the biggest weaknesses. Is there's obviously connections to the Germanic myths here somewhere, but they don't spell it out for the audience well, at all. I, I wonder the degree to which the intended sort of German audience would have just sort of like nodded along with it, you know, maybe, and like yeah. maybe we as American or we as North Americans, I should say, you know, you know, just don't have the sort of cultural connection to it in, mm-hmm. in the same way. It's notable that this film is obscure enough that it doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which, you know, usually <laughs> like a Wikipedia page will give us a two sentence summary, which gives us, Oh, that's kind of what it's going for there. But, um, so, so we're kind of flying blind on this one a little bit more than usual, yeah. but I think that is definitely, I mean, you know, I would say it's not even about kind of explaining the mythology, which, you know, uh, I don't necessarily care about the mythology if the, you know, if the kind of the narrative works. And I think the narrative mostly works. I just think we're kind of missing a third act here, you know, because mm. the structure of the film is like, okay, so there's this spate of killings that's happening. We're introduced to Sigurd there. What's his name again? Sigurd. Sigurd. We're in, Although I kept won't. saying it, like the, the, the headmistress kept saying his name and I kept, like it just like slid right off my brain i can although not, uh, i i will say if like i i listened to two i listened to two different dubbings of this the english and the i think spanish and in the spanish one he is called sigur instead of sigurd okay so, so they do take the d off it but who knows okay so sigurd there he kind of shows up and he kind of becomes our protagonist. So we're kind of following him around and we're kind of seeing the world through his eyes. And it's kind of about at first he just wants to, he's like, I'm going to be out of here in a couple of days. I'm going to come in. I'm going to kill this monster and, you know, put its pelts on the back of my car and then drive <laughs> off into the sunset. You know, that's kind of how he sees his, his, his role in the, in, in life, you know, and we kind of get the sense that although he's like far too attractive and both in terms of what we can see and clearly the way the other characters see him yeah. for me to really buy him as being kind of out in the middle of nowhere hunter for most of his life. He's there's, too soft. You there, know? There, there, there's nothing rugged about this guy is first all the girls speculate, Oh, you're getting this hunter in really experienced hunter. He must be an old man. So we're going to make fun of him. We're going to parade around in our bikinis and make fun of him because he can't touch us. And then as soon as he shows up, in his fucking leisure suit and tight pants and fucking holy shit. And they're all of a sudden they're fucking throwing their pussies at him. And he says he's been a hunter since he was 11. I don't buy it. <laughs> his, his hands are far too soft is, is all I'm yeah. saying. Maybe he was a pussy hunter when he was 11. I think, I think he's, <laughs> I think he had a lot of bars. I think that's what he's been hunting. I like to think, I like to think, yeah, I'm a hunter mm-hmm. of like, booze and women that's the thing that i'm a hunter of um you know even the way he carries the gun you know you never really get he's got that conviction of you know like no he he carries it too coolly like like it's an accessory it's not a tool (laughs) so anyway you know we kind of are following this guy around and he he's our he's our lead and it's kind of about like i mean we run into the issue that like in these kind of movies, like we already know that there is a monster because we've seen the monster like in the audience but he doesn't, and so there is this kind of long sequence where you know it kind of has to be explained to him, and he he doesn't buy into it at first. Mm-hmm. And um, I really wish that I mean it, it's it's just a challenge structurally with these films because you don't want the guy to like just kind of immediately go well clearly this is a you know a monster or whatever, but at the same time you end up with you know twenty thirty minutes of this like hour twenty four minute movie where it's really just explaining the premise to our lead, you know so. Yeah. Um, it's kind of this kind of built-in thing. There's a long sequence with a scientist that kind of 
you know, as cool as it is, as cool as it looks, there's there's some kind of cool visual stuff there. Once you kind of get to where the film is really going, I wish that we had just cut that entirely and we'd spent more time with. Oh, oh no, you know, no, 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 no. Come on, what what did you think of Professor Billy Connolly's laboratory? It's a great lab. I mean, again, I I I love the scene for the scene, but I think it's out of place in this movie. Is, is it yeah. really a great laboratory though? Because he's got livestock running through it all, all hours of the day, and he's I, got. I like to got, think that's just what Germany in seventy four was. Yeah. He's got handy vials of sulfuric acid just laying you around. Don't, you don't have that in your house. I mean, you know. No, granted, uh, granted, I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, so you know maybe, maybe my, maybe what I consider to be like just sort of like casual household items are not yours, but you know, <laughs> he's got it with un- within arm's reach, ready just to spill on himself. It's like, yeah. well, you know, it's a, you know, it's a thing. You know, I always, you know, I, I really grade these things. I should grade them more harshly. Um, you know, he doesn't have proper PPE. There are no gloves and no goggles <laughs> in the film. That's you know, that's clearly a no-no. But uh. And no, dude, I, I, I mean, come on. The dude irradiates a knife. To, to, <laughs> he irradiates a knife for Sigurd to use as a weapon because he he was doing research on the on the myth, and it's like, oh, you know, the the radiation from the moonlight is what changes the creature, and so if I put the same radiation in the knife, then we can stab the creature with it and kill it. And it's okay. <laughs> I kind of I kind of feel like we've already got the the blind guy, you know, mm-hmm. who's sort of sort of telling the myth and i feel like it's a it's a multiplicity of characters here like we don't really need the scientist to like explain the pseudoscience behind it you could have that guy be our be our kind of conduit for that instead of giving us the like the moonlight creates radiation and electromagnetism and the quantum effects cause you know whatever <laughs> like you don't it's cute but you know i feel like yeah you know, just give us just give us the mystical answer you know there's no there's yeah. no reason to kind of the blind guy could have very easily just been like, you know, and now I have, you know, you done the ritual to give the, you know, the thing, you know, like, again, like it's, I'm never going to complain about having a scientist in a movie. Yeah. I think it's cool, but you know, I don't know. I, I feel like we spend a lot of time with that and it's not even that much time, but it's sort of in that moment to where I'm, yeah, I'm kind of interested in the Lorelei as a character at this point, And I feel like it's doing this instead of giving us more of the Lorelei material. Yeah, I can see that. I just I prefer Professor Billy Connolly over the blind guy. I I throw I throw the blind guy out and I just keep Professor Billy Connolly. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that solution as well. Um, except to, I kind of liked the scene in the bar with the blind guy, you know. But yeah. you, could, you could put the scientist in that scene as well. The blind guy, I also like just think as um, you know, if if, uh, if our scientist is uh, Billy Connolly, then I, I think the blind guy is uh, Mark Marin. It's it's young Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> I see it now too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the remake. Billy Connolly and Mark Maron are in the remake of this. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that with, uh, you know, Brad Pitt as the, as the, uh, as the lead. Yeah, maybe Brad Pitt, maybe, or like, yeah. like, uh, you know, who's the, you know, who's the, who's the uh, up and coming, like, gorgeous hunky guy who you would not believe could carry a gun to save his life. The guy from Mad Men, uh, yeah. the lead. The, yeah, the, who's who's Brad Pitt's too old at this point. It's got to be somebody like in his mid twenties or something, right? Be, right. Like, so, anyway, we're not we're right. not casting the remake on this yet. But so so anyway, we we kind of get that bit. So we're following along with this guy's narrative, with this guy's kind of perspective, and then when he sees the Lorelai and her, you know, gorgeous model appearance, you know, and then she kind of runs away and he starts chasing her, and you know, it kind of becomes an obsession of his side trying to, you know, figure out who she is. And I don't even get the sense that he's, that he realizes it's sort of connected. I just kind of get the sense that he just kind of stumbles upon this gorgeous woman and he just becomes obsessed and he just kind of forgets the Lorelai, well, yeah, you know, the, the sort yeah. of, that he's supposed to be chasing this thing, you know, for a bit. Well, he, he's obviously caught in like some sort of spell with her too. Like yeah, there's yeah. some sort of hypnotic quality of hers that that's kind of clouding his judgment. And then, of course, you also have the love triangle here because then you have uh, the sort of headmistress uh, character who she's the tip- stereotypical, uh, no fun, uh, you know, uh, sort of authoritarian she, woman. She's a no fun authoritarian who is like, you You must giggle around the pool more, you know, students. Mm-hmm. Students and, in quotes. Yeah. And so, you know, she just hates the guy just 
because the script demands that she should hate the guy and then immediately fall in love with him after they run into each other out in the garden at one point and have a brief struggle. And hey, whatever, it's the 70s, that's how it's going to happen. But yeah, the, the the whole love triangle thing also doesn't really work because... Eh. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't work just because I just don't care. It sort of provides like sort of the impetus for the final scene. You know, but it would, I mean, again, it is, you know, all of these films are underwritten. Even when we like these films, that they are like kind of dramatically underwritten. Because mm-hmm. if you did want to sell this, if you did want to kind of sell this reality, right, you'd make there be a like pre-existing relationship between the headmistress and Sigurd, right? Right. They like, oh, they were already kind of dating or maybe and it's like, oh, yeah, come up and like, uh, you know, protect, you know, bring your rifle, come up. We've got this thing. We just want you to like hang out for a few days until you know, whatever this beast is, is, has been, you know, removed from. And so, okay, I'm just your boyfriend and I'll just come and like show up and do the thing. See, that would make more sense for the tension between them. Mm-hmm. If they had had a previous relationship and it had uh, broken up and mm-hmm. now he's called in, oh, they're calling in Sigurd, my old boyfriend. And oh, look at all the girls fawning after him. Fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. That would yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right that the the love triangle doesn't really work. And in fact, I I mean, I just kind of like missed that. I mean, it's not that I missed that element of it. It's it's completely like on the surface. It's just I cared so little for it, and I knew that it really wasn't what the film was interested in. And again, it is it is we do kind of run into the situation where like uh, Sigurd becomes increasingly enveloped in this mystery of who this girl is, and then like the dude shows up, and <laughs> you know they they go they literally walk underneath. The, the river, you know, and uh, you know, the guy's like, hey, grab her necklace and then the necklace disappears into the sand and it's like, there's something mystical fucking happening here and this is like this really kind of weird situation and yet Sigurd just seems to not, like he's both obsessed with the girl when she's around and then just sort of forgets that she's around, you know, yeah, like so it's clearly this sphere of of this uh, spell affecting him and when he's within the sphere of this, this effect, he, he is under the spell but otherwise he's just like eh. yeah yeah like you know yeah. oh well she's gorgeous but you know like burning the hand is worth two in the bush right <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> i've got a whole lot of bush waiting for me at this fucking cafe yeah dude, you know? <laughs> he's like we got to go to the river the finest creature i'm like fuck that i'm staying at the boarding school <laughs> fuck that shit what did you think of the actual monster itself? I, I'm thinking this is upper level Pertwee Baker era Doctor Who. Stuff. I was I was definitely uh, thinking about you know that that sort of you know about this era of Doctor Who came to my mind very regularly watching this film. I mean, you could even imagine Pertwee playing the lead role, you know, in a yeah. lot of ways. You know, I mean, you know, you just you put him in a in a frilly little uh, frock and a cape and uh, have him he know, is, have him say reverse the polarity a lot, and suddenly you know, he is he is kind of a Sigurd type character. Like Pertwee had a lot of swagger. He was the action hero Doctor Who, yeah, so yeah, that works for me. I want to see <laughs> that now. I want to see. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the effects in general and just kind of the structure of it, I mean, it does, I mean, you could kind of rewrite this as like a three or four part Pertwee serial in, in some, you know, obviously you got to tone the sex down. I think what watching these films kind of gives me like in retrospect is just sort of like a, a greater appreciation for how good the Pertwee era often looks about this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously this is not like a big budget film, but, I mean, and it does, I mean, it does look better than Doctor Who this era. I'm not saying that, like, right. but it matches fairly well. You know, with the with the aesthetics of it, it, it does a pretty good job of of kind of putting us in that same kind of headspace, at least. It's at this point, you know, once once we're kind of fully enveloped in this mystery, that I think the film kind of falls apart, and I think it's because it doesn't explain what's going on. And then right. once we're underneath the the Rhine, I mean, the film is only about another fifteen minutes, and. Mm-hmm. Most of that time is spent just kind of on like mechanics of like getting from one place to another, and you know they like chain up Sigurd, and then some of the girls cat fight over him, and he kind of gets away. And so, and we don't even get to watch the cat fight too much. It's really no. mostly like Sigurd like playing with locks and you it's know just, getting himself yeah, out. You know? I mean, um, for for a film like this, it's just more missed opportunity. And it's like here's here's what Franco would have done. That cat fight would have developed into a full-on lesbian scene with all their clothes off, and Sigurd would have at least banged three chicks out of that boarding school at some point, and you yeah, would have I seen mean, that. I mean, and it's not necessarily that like, I want that to be what the film is about. It's just like you're presenting this to us, and you're giving us the titillation. 
that's fine. But then, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of missing the opportunity a to do that. But then B, if you're not going to give us that, then why are we spending all this time? I mean, why are we here in the first yeah, place? I mean, you know, I really wanted this film to give us, like, I wanted like a showdown between Sigurd and the Lorelei, or I wanted like some kind of sense of their relationship or of, of something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that really what happens is that the Lorelei, like, the Lorelei even has like a line where she's like, you know, this guy, um, he'll learn to love me, you know, I'll make him immortal and he'll love me eventually because, hey, we're going to live 10,000 years and, you know, yeah. like, what else is he going to do except for like eventually learn to forgive me, you know? And so, you know, uh, I think that's an interesting idea of like that's her motivation that she becomes obsessed with him, which is a sort of a, uh, well, it's another common sort of uh, thing this this borrows from. Uh, we're saying, you know, it borrows from, like, werewolf films and slasher films and stuff like that. It also just borrows from the uh, she mm-hmm. uh, novels and film series. Same kind of idea, because Lorelai is really kind of, when you're seeing her sitting on her throne and stuff, she's very much presented like the character of she, the, you know, the immortal yeah goddess who is looking for her long lost reincarnated love or whatever you know yeah yeah, no no i mean there's a very i mean there's something very classical about that and there's something kind of very like operatic and like very you know kind of big emotional moments and the fact that the film kind of ends with a wet fart is sort of (laughs) you know i mean there there's a real lost opportunity there because i really thought this film was because it it's such a kind of bizarre like tonal shift that it does where we think we're kind of watching the kind of like fun slasher movie and then it kind of becomes like a sexy comedy thing and you even get like jazz music playing (laughs) at some point you know where it's like somebody died and suddenly like pans up to it to a castle and then you know it's kind of it's kind of giving us the fun version and then suddenly this like laurel eye obsession happens and i'm really like no i really want to see where this film is going and then yeah no really go anywhere it just kind of peters out you get a stabbing scene and you get like you know the lorelei dies and then you know the headmistress comes up and there's a moment of like oh well i guess that was fucked up and then that that's it (laughs) yeah that that was a thing yeah let's go back (laughs) let's go back to the the lesbian party school and um but but yeah there are like hard cuts here where it makes me feel like there probably was a lot more shot that's mm-hmm. just because this even feels a little brief for that period running time wise. Yeah, like it's it, only an hour 24 and I feel yeah. like, you know, even, even under 10 minutes would have given us, you know, a little bit more meat on the bone here, depending on, you know, kind of where, where you stuck it, you know, but. Cause Osorio doesn't really use that grotto for a lot of scenes and that's his big money set there. I'm oh, wondering yeah, yeah. like, did, did they spend money and build that set or did they take it from another film? Because either way they blew the fuck out of it by the end. And it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it feels like he should have used it for a bit more stuff. So, yeah, I know I, I, I put it that way. I mean, it may be from another film and they, you know, just had like a day to shoot on it. And so they just kind of yeah. shot what they had. I mean, it does seem like kind of a couple of little, like very pivotal moments that are kind of easy to shoot kind of happen down there. But I don't know. I like, I find myself just kind of like, I, I kind of feel like I'm wrapping up on it. I kind of feel like I've said what I need to say on this yeah, you know, uh, and that it's, you know, it's a worthwhile film. I think uh, this is on rare list. You can, you can find uh-huh. it pretty readily. It is a, it is rentable on Amazon. I did check that, you know, it's okay. like a $3 rental, $4, something like that. It's, it's, it'd be worth three or $4 to, to rent it. To, so. Yeah. There's a screen factory, Blu-ray and DVD from 2017. That's a double feature. And uh, that's double featured with Night of the Sorcerers, which is another uh, Osorio uh, film. So, Is it good? I don't know if it is or not, but it looks like it borrows a lot from this film as far as uh, how some of the women in it are dressed, because there's a bunch of leopard print bikinis in that film as well. well <laughs> it sounds like maybe we need to visit that one uh, Might at be, some point yeah. in the future, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like it was a worthwhile watch. I'm not unhappy I watched it. Um, again, some of the gore effects are really, I mean, especially for '74. You know, I mean, you know more about this than I do, but I, I was impressed with how far the gore went with. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a particular moment where I mean, they're like ripping into like breast, and it felt like actually disturbing. Yeah, Osario has tendency to really get violent against women in his films. Yeah. As Which we'll... I'm not saying that's a positive necessarily. No. But, 
if, it just just on a technical level, I admired it. Let's put it that way. But it, it's weird, actually. Once we get to the Blind Dead films, you'll see how progressive this film is compared to, uh, well, to those you know, as far as women go. Don't, um, don't, don't make me hate it in, in advance. But, oh, I don't know. think you'll hate it. I think you'll still get a kick out of it. But yeah, uh, but yeah this is... This isn't perfect, but I think it's really criminally overlooked at the same time. Yeah. So it, it's worth checking out, uh, especially if all you know from Osario is the Blind Dead films. And I mean, Spanish horror is kind of, in general, not given its due. Like, a lot of people just sort of go with Franco, and most of his stuff you can't really even consider Spanish horror necessarily. You know, it's just yeah. because he's shot in so many different places and stuff. But, um Yeah. I I got nothing else to say about it either. It's just kind of flawed, but good and interesting to check out. So, so is this filmed in Spain or was this filmed in this, Germany? Uh, I think it was filmed in Spain and Germany. Okay, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I I don't have the IMDb up right now, but um, at, at the very least, you do get the authentic uh, uh, German locations uh, to see, like the the Lorelei. Uh, rock and all that shit so yeah there's there's a uh there's like a um an alleyway towards the beginning like right before you get into the the, the little pub with mm-hmm. the, the beer steins and the uh checkered uh <laughs> mm-hmm. checkered tablecloths and i'm like my god i i really want to go like have a pint there now <laughs> like, it was a yeah was a visceral moment of like man i would love to be sitting in in that pub in 1974 right now yeah i was immediately thinking hmm you could get some authentic margins there before they all turned it to watered down tourist beers (laughs) that'd be cool uh but yeah i guess we can uh move on now and finish off the show next episode is going to be captain chronos vampire hunter Uh, the film the film that paul uh watched for last week mistakenly thinking that was the film we were doing (laughs) (laughs) so i figured jump on that now well, that's really fresh in Paul's head, you know. Yeah, that's probably, you know, because he'll probably watch, uh, you know, Count Dracula next week. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get his thoughts on that, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on the internet at, uh, at Daniel Lee Harper on Twitter. That's where I am most of the time. And uh, I do a podcast about movies about history and the history they're about. It's called Wrong With Authority. That's at wrongwithauthority.lipson.com. And uh, we just put out an episode about Anonymous from 2011. This is the Roland Emmerich uh, Shakespeare authorship movie, uh, which is all about like how Shakespeare didn't actually write Shakespeare. And um, we have on this podcast our you know your friend of mine Jack Graham, who is uh, a Shakespeare nerd. He mm-hmm. describes himself as a Shakespeare nerd, like just a fan of Shakespeare, as opposed to like being a, like a Shakespeare aficionado or whatever, you know. Although he does know a lot about Shakespeare and he knows a lot about the authorship question, and he rips this movie a fucking new one. Not just because <laughs> like it's completely inaccurate and he knows all the ins and outs of this conspiracy theory and the various competing versions of the conspiracy theory, but also because this movie is fucking awful. So uh, <laughs> that was that was a fun. Uh, that was fun. I re-listened to that episode and really I just uh, my my one complaint about Jack's editing of that episode is that he left too much of me babbling in. He should have cut me out more. But, you know, other than that, it's a, it's a, it's a good listen. I've got, I've got that on, uh, on my uh, MP3 player. I haven't listened to it yet. It's going to happen this weekend, but uh, yeah. What, what happened in our recording of that is I got tired. And when I get tired, I, as, as, as Lee knows from me on this podcast, when I get tired, it's late at night. I just babble and talk incoherently as a way of overcompensating. For, uh, you know. and so there's a lot of me like telling the same joke 15 times but it's fine you know I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed but it's a good episode nonetheless it's it's a fun listen so go check it out right on and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our apple podcasts youtube and facebook links join our facebook group they must be destroyed on site and you know you can leave comments and questions and you can see what's coming up on the podcast there as well not a lot else goes on on that that page, but uh, it's a good little hub just to keep up to date with what we are doing. And uh, until then, we come back next time for Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Cheers.
Sometimes I hear the Lorelei Ever so near the Lorelei At night she'll hum to me And whisper come to me from her place among the shadows who can she be the Lorelei why That sigh became a face, a shape, a name, a lover. I would love her till I die. The You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.